My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello and welcome back to the post-credit pod where Eric Italiano and I are just crushing Mando season two week by week. Before we jump into episode two, The Passenger, let's talk about a little long time coming news. A few years ago, TV fans were pretty depressed to see Marvel and and uh, Disney and Netflix dissolve their relationship and all of the Marvel shows on Netflix get the ax, despite a couple of them being quite good. But two years later, contractually speaking, Disney is getting the rights back to a bunch of these characters, including, and probably most notable of all, Daredevil. Now, Eric, I don't know about you because you and I haven't really talked about these series. It's a little bit in the past for us. But Daredevil was the only one that I thought was worthy of the ongoing narrative. The other shows, I I was like, you know what? There's a lot of positives here, but they're just not that good. I thought Daredevil overall was the only above average one. What about you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's first I just want to point out how slow this week has been that A, we're only doing one podcast. Uh, we, We usually try to do two, but there was... Not much to talk about this week. Is there uh, something else going on this week, Eric? I, yes, I there is. That. There is something going on. Um, the Packers beat the 49ers last night. Of course. 34-17. Um, so, but when I saw this news and I put out a tweet about it, people seemed to really, re- like, engage with it um, in heavy support of Charlie Cox, Daredevil. Um, I watched Daredevil seasons one, two, and three. I watched some of Jessica Jones season one. Uh, I didn't watch any Iron Fist. I didn't watch any Luke Cage. I didn't watch any of the Defenders. I didn't watch the Punisher either. Um, so I would agree that the Daredevil show was, while it wasn't, it didn't feel as though it was in the MCU, despite how hard they tried. Uh, I did kind of like that. Though I do well, agree. right. Let me say that. Aesthetically, thematically it just didn't quite fit in the way that they wanted it to but i think that was almost its strength daredevil is not a character who a quips makes quips as he fights you know he's a pretty serious guy and b he's not the sort of character to take part in these sort of third act hole in the skies type things so for the series to really look at mcu new york city from the ground level which is where you and i would exist in that world if if it were real like daredevil would probably be the one we bump into on the street oh daredevil what's up dude so <laughs> i guess tell me my man he's like no yeah, i've so, got to out so i did really enjoy you know the, as we like to joke the grounded and grittiness of that series um now that said and we'll talk, talk about this a bit despite how good it was, I do think that they should perhaps start fresh with the character and with the series. I get that. And I think ultimately what will happen is exactly that, that all of these characters will be recast. And similar to the Star Wars, Star Wars expanded universe, this will become like legend non-canon. But 
I think if they were going to keep anyone, and I think the casting across the board was pretty good, even if the shows weren't always good, Charlie Cox yes. is the one to keep because I think he was a very good daredevil. I think as we've just now established, we both think that was the best Marvel Netflix show. And I saw a minimum of one season of every of the shows. And I don't think it's even close that Daredevil's the best. And I do think he could fit into the modern MCU narrative, even though he was hardcore PG-13 and our MCU is really PG-10, honestly, if we're, if we're looking at it demographic-wise. I, I do think he, he could fit as this counterbalance, especially as they introduce Moon Knight and Blade and things that are going to be slightly darker. So I do hope they keep him. I think he makes sense. I think a lot of those rumors and fan theories you hear about him representing Peter Parker in uh, some, tor- some sort of like legal case, I actually do think there's some narrative merits to, to those ideas. I've so, been on that for sure. Yeah. But will they? I, I agree. I think they're going to go clean slate because Kevin Feige, that's, that's how he operates. Well, here and here's the point that I like to make. Look what they just did with Moon Knight, right? They casted an, an A-lister, an A-lister of a- A-listers. And as we said, that tells us that they're going to cross these characters over into the films perhaps more than we thought. You know, my point is that you don't cast Oscar Isaac to put him behind a paywall. He's going to be popping up in the film and such. That's well said, Eric. I'd argue that Daredevil is a far bigger name than Moon Knight. Um, So while Charlie Cox isn't as big of a name as Oscar Isaac. Correct. And while Charlie Cox is a good actor, I've only seen him in this. I had never seen him before. I haven't seen him since. So I don't think he carries this sort of marketability that A, they would want in a character like a character as big as Daredevil. And B, just... In general, he's not really a name at all. The only reason he is a name is because of this show. Um, you should watch now, that whether, Rock Empire. He's quite good as a supporting character. Oh, is he on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I'm not doubting his... Oh, no, no, speech. yeah. And that, and that doesn't... And that still plays into your, your point. He's a supporting character on Boardwalk Empire. He's not a movie star like right. Oscar Isaac or, or some of these other names we hear rumored with these big roles. What the shame is that there was so much that they got right about it, right? Like... The costume, incredible. His general persona is incredible. But when you look at it through the context of Daredevil could be one of their bigger characters going forward, I don't see any way that they don't recast the role. Now, let me ask you, because it's pretty much a guarantee that he pops back up in the MCU at some point within the next, I don't know, five or six years, right? Daredevil, yeah. I got to believe based on name brand power alone. That they now, want to do, him in there. now, do you think that that would be in a film or do you think that they're going to give him his own series again? If you had to just guess. It's a great question. I don't think that they would give Daredevil his own solo series if they were recasting. I, I just think they would be like, why would we retread this ground that's already been covered and that is going to be inextricably linked and compared to the previous series no matter what we do. So if, if they recast... I see him as a supporting player, perhaps in other movies, perhaps in other TV shows, but certainly not the same exact medium portrayal as we've already gotten. Yeah, now, if they yeah. keep him and they're, they're legally allowed to basically have like a Daredevil 2.0 series, that would be interesting. I could see them being like, oh, yeah, he was gone for a year. Now he's back. What's up? I mean, look, if they were to treat Daredevil as a supporting character, then Cox could work. 
You know, he doesn't have his own series. He doesn't have his own film, but he pops up where they need him. You know, that would be one way, way to do it. I love this character. He's the type of character that I would want a full franchise built around. You know, as we talk about on, on this podcast a lot, this may come as a surprise to you guys, but I'm a big Batman guy. And <laughs> Daredevil is, you know, as close of a comp as the MCU might have. So I am excited to see where it goes from here. I thank Netflix and Charlie Cox for what they tried, but I think it is the end of the road for them. I will say, if we're counting the Netflix Marvel series in the MCU right now, then Daredevil had the best fight choreography and action scenes of, of any single MCU project. If we're not, then I still say the Winter Soldier had the best one-on-one -on -one fight scenes. Yeah, but those hallway fights were just electric, man. Like, that's the type of stuff that we don't see enough. You know, like, I talk about the Batman warehouse scene and BVS all the time. Like, that sort of visceral hand-to-hand -hand combat, that is always what I'm trying to see, especially with, you know, effectively human superheroes yeah. like Daredevil. Seeing him tie ropes around his arms and wrists just to go beat some ass is incredibly badass. Bad yeah. And so, all in those one take scenes, which I love. Yeah. And like people say it's a gimmick. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. But it's a well, gimmick. Towards the end, it was a gimmick, but that doesn't mean it's not cool. But listen, I, I think season three's prison break one, one shotter was probably their best action scene. I, I mean, yeah. the sheer ambition and scope of that to get that right was just unbelievable yeah for sure for sure i like that and i and I, I i hope like i said they keep cox won't be surprised if that's not the case because now kevin feige has full control over marvel tv shows which he did not before and that is a big point to to determine right. the future of what's going on right right all right well i'm glad marvel's kind of headed in this cool direction where we still think there's new and exciting things going on I would say we're, we're kind of taking a step back in The Mandalorian this week after an episode I liked for the season two premiere, you didn't like, but ultimately our central theme was the same and it carries over from season one. Neither of us are fans of this extended episodic format in which these are relatively standalone episodes with villain or challenges of the week that don't have any real propulsion to the story and plot in a kind of larger sense. And this week, The Passenger, which essentially has the Mandalorian ferrying this uh, amphibious creature who's a mother trying to hatch her eggs. And they basically get marooned on an ice planet and have to escape from dangerous ice spiders. This has no bearing whatsoever on the larger story. We learn nothing about other Mandalorians. Uh, Baby Yoda species, any connection to the greater Star Wars mythology. And they've essentially turned the Mandalorian into a bleeding heart. I'm going to help every single person I can, which is fine, but seems so jarring from what we previously got. Well, they're doing it under the guise of he's doing these tasks in order to get more info about where to find more Mandalorians, right? But okay. what you're saying is still correct they're just trying to thinly veil it as though it has something to do with the plot but we all know it doesn't it's just this is so this is a bad episode to me and i think honestly it's a nothing one of burger. Worst. yeah it's a nothing a burger it's completely burger. hollow it's all filler um 
you know, I think one of the cooler parts of the episode were its tangential parts, seeing the new Republic and the X-Wings and sort of... Absolutely. I like seeing Star Wars. You know, the, the reason that I tell you that I like Mando uh, and Rogue One is that they're smaller in scale. Like, it's not the fate of the universe at stake. So seeing X-Wings just sort of patrol the galaxy and not be used in the context of, oh, we got to go blow up the, the Death Star right now or we all die. It's cool, right? It's like right. Uh, n- not quite a workplace comedy, but you're seeing these characters and these uh, institutions that we've come to know operate in their day-to-day lives. I, I cool. agree. I do agree. But as we kind of texted, I, I think this episode, the brief glimpse into the fledgling new republic is the and best it's brand new color. right like yeah. they just got off the ground yeah yeah this is this is a few years in the making i think this is this is the best part of the episode because it gives you a sense of of what's going on on the day-to-day like nitty-gritty politics and we see that the the new republic is kind of re-establishing itself and with their treatment of mandalorian that they are a, a relatively moral and just institution but as we texted about before we hopped on this uh this pod I think it could have been handled in a much more efficient and effective manner. There are a million ways Mando could land on that planet and be, be stranded. It doesn't have to be a, a dog fight with these new Republic soldiers only for them to like come around and be like, Oh, we're not so bad. You're not so bad. We're all not so bad. I thought it was so hackneyed the way that they basically shoehorned this new Republic morality into the story. And I think, like I said, again, I like seeing these pockets of the greater Star Wars universe on this kind of day-to-day level, but I just think there's a better way to go about it in this scenario. So even though it's one of the best elements of the episode, I think it was a missed opportunity. Yeah, well, I'm saying that in the sense of that it is the best part when it's not even really, it, you know, it, it's like a sidecar, right? It's not yeah. even, the fact that we're focusing in on that being the coolest part of this 40-minute episode is not a good thing um you know that said the cgi continues to impress every week it does but this was the first example where i thought things in like the background and the scale of like the uh the razor crest compared to some of like the mountains and spiders was a little off and that actually has been a complaint by some much more uh, effects knowledgeable people on, on film Twitter about the volume, which is the technology. What do you mean the scale of the ship? It's too big, it's too small? Yeah, just like go, go back and, and look about uh, how the definition and size comparisons look when something's in the background compared to the ship and like vice versa. Gotcha, it, it gotcha. is a little bit off. Because again, for, for anyone who doesn't know, the volume is the technology they use where essentially they have floor to ceiling LED screens that project the background. And like the Razor Crest will be like a, a man-made set. And you're starting to see a little bit of the, the fuzziness between the two. But yes, overall, I, I still do agree that the, the spectacle and the visual effects are, are pretty great. I was watching the dogfight scene and, was- uh, and uh, you know, they're, they're shooting it from like a distance. And they do a uh, like sort of a quick camera whip and zoom in that is very common and bigger large-scale dogfight scenes scenes that I've seen them. But what I wrote down is, you know, impressive CGI and deep-cut Easter eggs are only going to get this show so far. I mean, it was cool last week, but then they did it again this week. And I'm at the point now where 
I am concerned about this show going forward, especially with this news that just broke today about the Boba Fett series uh, that's in the works. Each of these problems on their own, you could sort of ignore. But when they build on top of each other, it does make you wonder what intentions they have for this series. Yeah, and and I wrote for Observer today, in in eight episode seasons, it's constantly overtaken by endless side quests and consistently self-made setbacks while all we want is for the show to move forward. You know, we're already 25% done with season two and Giancarlo Esposito's Moff Gideon hasn't shown up. In lieu, uh, to paper That's a great point. That's a great point. And he's supposed to be an establishing, overarching narrative element that we have not even gotten yet and and like like you said they're papering over this thin writing with cameos and easter eggs and callbacks like whoa it was so cool to see boba fett and now boba fett's getting his own series ahsoka tana is going to show up later this season and she's rumored to be getting her own series i don't want this to just turn into a launching pad for other lucasfilm brand expansions at the cost of story and entertainment in itself. Should we jump into our recap and categories? Yeah, let's let's hit it. So you want to you want right, to jump us off with it. the kill count? Oh yeah. So well, let's uh, let's dive into the plot, and then we'll get get into the categories. All right. Well, so the plot is this this like I said, this amphibious creature. She's a mother. She's taking her eggs to her husband, and she even says in the episode, "I'm trying to prevent the extinction of my family line." Uh, so I thought it was just so unbelievably tone deaf and jarring to play as comedy. The fact that baby Yoda was eating her eggs. I did find that weird. Like I did that not find it a funny little at weird. All. It's like not cannibalistic, but it's a little like, it's a I mean, little jarring. Yeah. It's a good He's point. eating the eggs of sentient beings that she just said she's trying to stave off extinction of, of her family. Like, well, and they're, and they're just, treating it like Alf eating the cat. I thought it yeah. was so bizarre. And, and they do it a few devil. times. They do it a few times. It's not like it's a one-off joke. They do he, it three or four times. He eats at least like five of the eggs. Like I, I just like didn't get it. I'm like, John Favreau, this isn't funny or, or humorous or cute. Yeah. This is just bizarre and, and honestly paints Baby Yoda as a dick. We pick up episode one left off and Mando gets taken off his speed bike. Right. By what looks to be like a just a random gang of crooks. I don't think they seem to know who he is or what he has but this is once again a a scene where the cgi looked incredible him ripping his speeder in the open plains just looks so good um whoever would never survive that crash yeah right i just immediately wrote that down (laughs) he could have used the force to brace his fall Whoever choreographs his fight scenes is doing a great job because I do really enjoy both his hand-to-hand combat skills and his tactical knowledge, like him knowing that that one bandit would want his jetpack and like literally setting it up to use the jetpack to win the fight. That was Um, great. He's smart. He's capable. He's super strong. I mean, we made the point last week that he's almost like a superhero at this point. Um, And this scene only further highlights that because he absolutely rinses these dudes in every way you could with his quick draw of his gun, with his hand-to-hand skills, and with his brain. Um, 
So then he heads over to Amy Sedaris's character, whose name we should probably learn at some point if she's going to keep popping up. Um, she's great. That, I, I like her humor, humorous bits. I think yeah, but didn't you say show. last week you're getting sort of tired of the uh, the sideshow aspect of it? I, I am. And, and then, so with Amy Sedaris's character, he's in the cantina. She is playing cards with this ant-like creature. And basically, like, they're all talking about information about trying to find other Mandos. And then later, she's with the amphibious creature and talking to Mando about trying to find other Mandalorians. And I wrote down here in my notes, how much of this show is one person just translating to another? And I would say <laughs> like a good 40%, which like yeah. maybe that's a trope that we can we can stop because it's just it just stalls any type of like momentum, I feel like. You know, and it's funny because it's coming. I guess it's a result of, as we talked about last week, Mando just talking more yeah. in general. Baby Yoda as well. They're both mouthy as hell these days. <laughs> I was gonna, one of my, my last notes for the episode is how close is Baby Yoda to speech? Because it seems like we're getting closer. For sure. I mean, but it's funny because he acts more like a bait, like, now they're having him do baby things, right? Like we have a category called the baby Yoda awe moment of the week. And again, you know, this is part of what worries me is that every time he's on screen, it looks like he's being put there to make you say awe. And it's, <laughs> and it's okay when it comes naturally, but to shoehorn in, like, as you said, the constant jokes about him eating these eggs, you know, it feels like, and it's still early, and I'm not going to condemn it yet, but it feels like Mando is becoming its worst commercialized version of itself. Everything is designed to either get you to buy the toy or to get you to watch the next new show that they come out with. I'm and glad you said that. Baby Yoda, if he is not advancing the plot, that is all he is. He's a toy on screen. So I'm hoping episode three sort of brings us back in but the current trend and the current usage of both the characters the storylines and baby yoda in particular is troubling my my next question was going to be do you think the mandalorian's greatest asset which was the meme and like cute ability of baby yoda could become a long-term drawback because let's say they want this show to run five seasons you know something like a, a real streaming sensation is he just going to be baby Yoda because of his slow aging the whole time? Like I, I want to see the development of him as an actual character and like person of, of agency. So I could see how his absolute ridiculous cuteness made season one a sensation. And now it starts to becoming a drain on the show's quality as we move forward. Well, that's why they have to keep up the plot, right? It's okay if you're doing all of that built-in sort of, oh, wow, I go out and buy this toy moments if you continue to actually develop the character and the plot. I but would they're not. Be, oh, right, exactly. I would be okay with him being adorable and funny in new ways that advance the character. They've yeah. been doing the Baby Yoda will eat whatever he gets his hands on joke since last season. And they're still doing it consistently. And while it was not nuanced the first time, but felt new the first time, every time they do it, it feels worn down and yeah. overused. Here's my question. Based on the yeah. two episodes we've seen. Uh, I'm how, concerned. How would you, do, <laughs> what 
is the plot of just these two episodes that we've seen? And then building on that, have they accomplished whatever these plot objectives are in these two episodes? The only vague plot that they have right now is that Mando is trying to procure more information about other Mandalorians. Cobb Vanth was supposed to be one. He's not. So have they, I mean, that is the only plot line that they have going so Which far this year. not really a plot line. It's more of a direction. A big task. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they I- haven't advanced it at all. So it's troubling. It is. And as you pointed out, I didn't even think about that. We're already 25% through. And we haven't heard from Moff Gideon or the Jedi or really anything that you and I were most stoked for. So I was arguing about this with a friend on Twitter this morning before we hopped on. And he said, I think people in defense of the show, he said, I think people need to stop criticizing it for what they want it to be. Because it has always set out to be this fun, mainstream, popular, episodic adventure series. Now, I said, I understand that that may be its... That's a false premise, though, because the first three episodes of season one were all serialized, as were the last two. So you're talking about uh, there were eight of them, so five of them. I'm not good at math. Do the (laughs) math at home. But this series was presented to us at first as a serialized tale and that is not and then we thought that the adventure of the weeks last season were one-offs where now that appears to be the true nature of the series but i don't think it's correct of your friend to say that that's what it's been since the start because i don't think that that's true and let's let's say let's say it is though. I, I tend to agree with you because I, I think there were more serialized elements early on in season one, though I do still think it was kind of episodic in nature. But just because a show starts off one way does not mean it needs to stay that way. And I pointed out my first example was The Americans on FX, one of the best shows of the last 10 years that started off very much as a mission of the week spy drama before becoming much more of a serialized family drama that had international politics on the background and elevated itself to prestige uh, show. And then I pointed out an example of what it could be. I think Boardwalk Empire on HBO was a good but never great serialized drama that had a lot of week-to-week fun adventures and and kind of mob side quests that still fed into an overarching plot. So I think there not only can it change, but we've also seen examples of big spectacle, expensive serialized dramas that maintain commercial appeal with this weekly sense of fun. Well, that's why I'm so hard on it, right? Because I know that they could be doing better. Like we've seen them do better. If that means less episodes per season, I would be fine with that. I would rather it be miniseries-esque and have every hour be an absolute ripper, then kind of get dragged along. I, you know, I just don't even think I, it needs to be less episodes. I just think it needs to stop with this divided focus between random Star Wars adventures and actual right, plot right, progression. Right. If it just shifts its focus, eight episodes is so doable. Yeah. All right. So he uh, he goes back to meet up with Amy Sedaris's character. He tells her. It turns out that the guy. Uh, 
only was wearing Mando armor, he is not one. So she's like, oh, I know somebody else who knows where to find one. Like, oh, of course she does. What a coincidence. I wrote down- Bring that up last week. The the amount of Deus Ex Machinas in this show is getting a little absurd. So so she says, okay, I know this frog who's trying to transport, I don't even know what, her her eggs to where her husband is, right? Is that it? Yeah, because they're trying they, to like start a new life on this planet that is like environmentally sound for their species. Gotcha, gotcha. So, <laughs> and that just feeds back into what you said about Baby Yoda. It's not funny that he's eating these eggs. They literally tell us from the start, like, hey, my species is dying and this backpack here is all I have left. So despite the fact that they're literally going out of their way to keep these things alive, the baby's just popping them like straight candy. And so now here's where I want you to take over because where I get sort of confused. Whilst they're in space, they get stopped by the new Republic. Why? It seems like because they're entering a new sector, there are security protocols to go through. He doesn't have a transponder on his ship, which he explains because he's pre-Imperial, I believe. So, like, there's basically a technicality, and then they have to run through some more kind of bureaucratic security checks. And long story short, Mando knows that his ship will probably pop up as... A, a wanted ship because there's an arrest warrant for him because he's a, a shady character, etc., etc. So he just bolts immediately, which a uh, great, you know, like a cool space battle. But this is one of three extended action sequences in in what is a 40 minute episode. And at a certain point, I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't mind a little Game of Thrones, two people talking to each other scene for once. Right. Um... So then he crash lands on this ice planet. Have we been here before or no? It's a new one, I think, right? I mean, I, every time I see an ice planet, I'm like, is that Hoth? You know, so I, I don't think we've been there without these, you know, like one thing Rogue One was criticized for, but I actually think did well, is that it had a little marker of what each planet was in the first half of the movie. Every time they traveled to a new planet, they're like, this right. is XYZ. This is a I, I feel like if it was Hoth, they would be going much more out of their way to let us know. Yeah, but then um, Hoth, you know, they basically yeah. run into what is a combination of uh, alien with the the eggs hatching, and what is what we didn't get from Game of Thrones, which was ice spiders, which everybody wanted, and they're like, you know what? Let's combine those two great fantasy sci-fi elements. Now, but that said, I did write down here is the more expansive they are in genre the more i enjoy it you like to point out that rogue one is a world war ii film i enjoy that you like to point out that mandalorian is really a western i like that this dip into space terror was enjoyable the more that they mold and expand what star wars can be is where i think it's at its best so i did enjoy this scene this was probably not even so much the way it was executed, but the idea in and of itself to have this sort of 20-minute alien-ass horror scene was brave. Brave is not the right word, but I like to see them expand what they're trying to do. And not, and not as we talked, you know, Mando has a heart of gold and he's doing the same thing every week. At least this was different. I will say this. I would take Might this been- one over that Bill Burr one every day of the week. Yeah, I would say. But I, so. I, get, I get what you mean in terms of introducing 
fresh genre elements into Star Wars. And, and I do think that's cool. And, and you make a good point. I will counter that, though, with uh, Mr. Sunday Movies, very popular YouTube account that we've mentioned on this pod before, has an absolutely great video this week about Star Wars's horrible history of just killing animals that didn't ask to be bothered whatsoever. <laughs> And this dates back to the original trilogy. He's talking about all these creatures that are straight up minding their own fucking business before someone just comes in to either like laser chop them (laughs) with a lightsaber or blow them up for no, like they didn't do anything. They're just- You're right. They literally weren't even born yet. Yeah. They were not even of the earth yet. Just minding their own business. That's mad funny. I never noticed that before. And Baby Yoda, of course, eats one because apparently that's like the only joke we have right now. And then Mando starts blowing them up. Like- like they're just minding their own business, and like the big mama spider comes to defend the eggs. Like that's what happens. Yeah, Normal right. Animals. Exactly. Exactly. But I do respect the expanding of genre. Yeah, and then they come back to to be the most boring genre ever when the New Republic soldiers basically save the day and are like, "Hey, Mando, you helped our friend that we've never, the audience has never heard about before." And we're going to like let you go because you're a good guy. And I'm like, Jesus, this is so forced and haphazardly constructed in terms of showing the morality of the New Republic and showing how how good of a guy Mando is. Right, right. And I sent the text to you because I was like, are we supposed to? Because not only do they say you helped our friend, but they name it super specifically. They're like Lieutenant Gavin of the New Republic prison something or whatever. No, sorry, Davin. D-A-V-I-N, from the New Republic Correctional Corps, which I don't even know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. Nothing, right? So exactly. But they're so specific about it. And, and as soon as they say that, I'm like, that's an episode I would love to see. Like, that's that sounds fucking cool. So, yeah, they're in a tough space of everything cool about these characters exists in their past and their future, not their present. And we find ourselves in this sort of narrative holding pattern of of the show just trying to buy time and last as long as it can. Really, I think episodes. I think I just sort of cracked the code. There is no other understandable reason for what they're doing right now. They know what works. Every time they've done a flashback, which we both loved last week of Cobb Vanth, or every time they teased where this story is heading, that's when this show is great. But the present day is where it lacks. In an eight-episode season, you simply cannot have multiple filler episodes and leave the entire thrust of the central plot over the course of two to three episodes. It's just poor efficiency, poor story management. You know, it's like a a GM of a football team investing resources into just one position group and leaving, leaving the others to just wither away. When do you think the Moff Gideon conflict gets resolved? What season? I don't know, but I, if it doesn't even at least spark on the screen in episode three, I'm going to throw a bitch fit to quote. Because <laughs> like, I'm concerned, like, is he going to be the series long villain? Like, is, like are we still going to be dealing with this in season five? And then the series finale is going to be defeating him. You know, that's the sort of trajectory that they seem to be on, on right now. They're doling out the main storyline so slowly that I'm worried. Bottom line, I'm worried. He's going to be the overarching series villain because if that's the case, we haven't spent spent nearly enough time with him or learned enough about him 
to give a shit. Right now, he's yeah. just a cool bad guy, but that's it because we don't know anything about his goals. Where Dude, he he's just Gus Fring in a spacesuit. I mean, let's be fucking real about it. We don't know Which shit cool. about him. He's Gus Fring in a spacesuit. That's it. This is a uh, a fan theory, which I thought was cool. Again, not even remotely official, just a fan theory. One person said the reason he wants Baby Yoda is because he is aware of Grand Admiral Thawn, who is currently in the Unknown Regions, missing, and that he wants Baby Yoda to help navigate the uh, the complete expansiveness of Unknown Space, which is what Grand Admiral Thrawn's people use. They use four sensitive children to, to navigate space. Uh. And it's a, and so he's basically trying to find Thrawn so he can jumpstart his own, you know, galactic tyranny ambitions. And I was like, well, that makes a certain amount of sense and brings in a character we've long kind of had an interest in and that Lucasfilm clearly wants to build around more. I uh, The ones that I've read is that he either A, wants to take his what are the things called mitochlorians mitochlorians yeah uh for himself for himself and give himself the force or b that he well i I know not yet at least (laughs) (laughs) uh or b that he wants baby yoda's force to sort of help palpatine if he knows that palpatine's still alive yeah like and that and that he he, you know yeah so We'll see. Um, so overall grade? Uh, for this, I, I would give this uh, a C minus D plus. All right. And just to change it up, I'll go on the one to 10 scale. Yeah, I'll give this a 6.5. I would give this, I would give this, if we're going on a number scale, I would give it five and a half digested eggs of an extinct, extinct species out of 10. Bodied. Bodied. All right. <laughs> category time let's do it so for this week's kill count i have four and it's those first four goons that he kills in that first scene and then there's about a hundred spiders most of which are newly hatched eggs so i think we can both agree that the kill of the week was the jetpack kill right yeah and again as i said at the top it's sort of expanding just how super heroic mando is starting to become that not only can he beat your ass six ways but he could outthink you as well it was a very very clever move i like that one now the trip to the jedi temple this is where we discuss any references to the jedi the forest lightsabers that kind of mythology there's really only one in my count is that's when he says to the new republic may the force be with you because he's clearly aware that that is a mantra of the quote unquote good guys but the way that he says it is as he only knows the words he doesn't know what, what they mean He's yeah. just like, yeah, may the uh, force be with you, or whatever it is that you guys say. Sure. His stumbling, <laughs> fumbling, bumbling conversation at first was very reminiscent of Han Solo's with, we're fine, how are you? And that's why it makes me wonder how much Pedro Pascal is in the suit, because the physical comedy, like, Mando doesn't have a face, but he still could sort of express how he's feeling, right? Like, a, like even a turn of the shoulder. yeah. Is sort of him trying to express himself. So this scene was actually pretty funny. I did enjoy that line, especially in the way that he used it. He's becoming more aware of the force, but not to believe in it, just enough to say it to get by. You know, for all the things that we have been sort of dunking on about this season so far, I will say the character development of Mando specifically 
has been good. Yeah. He's As been- we talked about last week, he's becoming more of a leader. He's speaking up more. He's becoming more of a father. So in that regard, they have progressed the character, but not the plot. I'm glad you said he's becoming more of a father because my award for the Baby Yoda aw of the week is after the kind of kerfuffle subsides and Baby Yoda just like scampers up to him like, Daddy, hold me. That was adorable as all hell. And like, you know, how willing and and immediately uh, concerned Mando was for Baby Yoda. He's like, you all right, little little buddy? Like everything. Yeah, yeah. Scoops him up into his arms like a proud papa. For mine, I had, I just wrote down, anytime he walks. Yeah. basically anytime he like waddles moves uses his legs adorable uh and then i also have the sort of like puppy guilty feels when mando seems to finally teach him the word no he's like no when they're by like the pool and he goes to eat an egg and he's like no <laughs> like like you would to a dog and he sort of sulks back amazing yeah that was really funny i mean like we said it's becoming a long-term drawback, but of course, he's still incredibly memeable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it's not that he's not, he's still as cute as he's always been, but it's, yeah. you've got to dole it out, right? You can't just, there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. And while we're not there yet, that seems to be the course that we're on. Now, the Use the Force Award, the best action fight moment of the episode, to me, it leans into what you were saying before, the horror elements. I hate spiders. I have like serious arachnophobia (laughs) in real life. So when they were in the cockpit of the razor crest and he was basically trying to kill the spiders and close the doors as they completely overrun his ship, I thought that was a really great moment of terror, horror, and just like a kind of visceral, holy shit type of sequence. Same here. Exact same. All right. So for Wikipedia, this is kind of anything deep cut that we think might need further explanation. We tried to find the uh, the character that the New Republic mentions that the Mandalorian helped, Lieutenant Davin. I don't see anything from a very cursory, cursory Google search. So I don't think we can explain that any further to fans, despite that being a, a moment of intrigue. Yeah. Uh, do you think that they will, or was that just sort of a one-off line? I could almost guarantee you it was just like a one-off line. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, I, oh, I think we've seen the show maybe doesn't have the best head on its shoulders, even while it's extremely fun and enjoyable at times. It's not meticulously uh, recording its own history in order to pay off teases and or moments of, of skepticism. Right, right. right. Now, this is the way we think things are going to go. Do you have a prediction for the next episode and or upcoming storylines, Eric? Because it's getting increasingly hard to do so with these thin episodes. Yeah, so look, man. I mean, he's still with the frog lady, right? So you assume they got to pick that back up. I, I could absolutely see the next episode opening with like a line of dialogue, like after the last drop off, like I'm not doing anything more. Oh, my God. Fuck, I hope not. All right, so I'm going to have the same one I had last. We got to see Moff Gideon. We have got to see this guy. I need them to bring back the main plot. Because if we get almost halfway through and they don't bring us up to date on what's going on with the main villain, then we're close to crisis mode. Seriously, I really believe that. Storytelling, if that happens. Yeah, completely. Especially the way that they ended it last season. 
Like, come on, man. Even if it's at the end, real quick, just to show them on like a giant destroyer or something. Anything at all. Yeah. Please. And listen, we realize there's six episodes left for all the fans. We're probably going to hop up in our mentions being angry that we didn't like the Mandalorian. We get that, but that's not really a ton of time to flesh out a greater concept. You know, that that's more so enough time to have him fight with the dark saber, someone else and have a cool action scene and be like, ah, Mando, I'll get you next time. <laughs> yeah. I so, mean, we do know we're going to get that at some point. Yeah. this season so and i'm not even asking for that right now right i'm just i just want to know what he was what he's up to if he's tracking them where he's at etc that's all just a little bit now i don't necessarily have a prediction but i have a concern today's news via deadline is that lucasfilm is potentially developing a boba fett disney plus series let's say that that's true for the sake of argument my concern is that Boba Fett literally doesn't show up again in Mandalorian season two. And his brief appearance in season in the first episode last week was solely to tell us he's still alive. That would be such a travesty of narrative construction, in my opinion, that you are now sacrificing moments within this show simply for the sole purpose to set up your brand expansion. It is terrible. Capitalistic commercial storytelling at its worst, which is something I think you coined earlier this episode. Yeah. And look, man, I don't get the Boba Fett hype, right? Like as far as I'm concerned, Mandalorian is cooler. So I, I don't know who exactly, I mean, I look, We'll all watch you it. You weren't a huge and, OT fan. That's that's where it comes in, though. And to be clear, they did say that it would be a miniseries. So it strikes me as Disney being Disney, doing the same thing that they did the last time, showing that they haven't learned from any of their previous fuck-ups when it comes to overstuffing the product to try to appease everybody. Boba Fett is cool to OG fans, as you just said, or OT fans, whatever. But right now, Mando is probably the most popular Star Wars character in the mainstream, right? So why you would bog down this successful series with other teases and characters and spinoffs is frustrating to me. Because I was going to say confounding, but that's not true. Because I know exactly why they're doing it. And that's why it's frustrating to me. I I agree completely, man. We, We are, for the first time in season two, completely and utterly on the same page. Yeah. So that kind of ties a bow on our Mandalorian conversation for the week. Now, normally we would just say, hey, guys, tune in next week. But since this is election week, since yesterday, Thursday was November 5th, we thought it was a, a perfect time to close out this episode with a discussion of V for Vendetta, which is surprisingly prescient in our current times and depressingly uh, evocative of what we're seeing right now with the transfer of power and a, a corrupt administration, in our opinion. And it's hard not to draw parallels between the movie and what's going on today. Now, Eric, I know you have a lot of thoughts. We haven't really kicked into this movie a lot on this podcast, though it was one of my contenders in our superhero movie draft. Mike, oh, wow. It was. 
arriving in 2006 pre-Iron Man, pre-Dark Knight, and hilariously in the same year as X-Men The Last Stand and Superman Returns, to me, V for Vendetta is the first unabashedly political superhero film we've probably ever gotten, all things considered. And that's no surprise for fans of the source material, but audiences at that time, you know, mainstream movie audiences, didn't know quite what to make of this relatively actionless commentary on the rise of fascism. You know, for me, V for Vendetta is visually striking, constantly thought-provoking, and ahead of its time, yet endlessly timeless, as we see these kind of right-leaning, conservative, political powers take root here and, and across Europe as well. Uh, I think its parallels apply as equally to dictators of the past as it does to political figures of the moment. Uh, it's pointedly provocative, extremely subversive, and, and somehow still intelligently commercial, even if it wasn't a massive blockbuster. I, I think by the end of the film, we all kind of become anarchist converts as well. And I think that's actually a, a, a good thing in the context of this movie. But, you know, as we see this election drag on and hostility and toxicity from both sides, I can't help but be brought back to that film specifically. Yeah, I actually watched this earlier this year because of the whole like lockdown and and the fact that we're sort of living through something like this now. The amount that this film was able to predict was incredible. First of all, they call us the former United States of America, which is not inherently true, but it certainly feels that way right now. Never a good sign when you're the former United States of America. Yeah. The I don't, I don't know if you could tell, but I got sort of a Guy Fawkes beard going on here these days. Yeah, you got uh, it. Uh, Get out in the street and start liberating. The, uh, the way that they were able to predict these cable news talking, feeding in for political and societal divide. This film has a real point, right? Nolan tried with The Dark Knight to try and have it be a meditation on the Iraq war. Uh, he tried with The Dark Knight Rises and tried to speak on Wall Street and all that. You have Zack Snyder and Watchmen. This is the real deal. This yeah. movie has a real point, and they convey that so effectively, not so much through V's actions, but through V's message. You yeah. aren't looking forward towards his fight scene or the next thing that he blows up. You're looking forward to him explaining his past, his goal, his plans, his ideals. Those are the strongest moments of this film. The idea of V is more powerful than V himself. And I think that's why it works and why the ending works, where it sort of says that we're all V in our own rights. And it's not, while that could come across as hollow, ham-fisted, do-goodery, it doesn't in this case at any moment. They're taking aims at, aim at politics, the media, church, privacy, war. It's all in there. And not only is it expertly told, but it's beautifully shot. The Wachowskis, I believe, produced it. I don't know if they directed it. I probably no, they didn't, but I believe they also wrote the script. Yeah, and so, you know, this is them at their best, right? You could, to yeah. you could totally tell. It is, I'd say, underrated comic book films of all time. And Great. I think that's because it feels so real, that people don't really 
consider it a superhero comic book film. You know, like they drop that he more or less has superpower, but you never really give a shit. You want to hear him talk about his point of view and the way he sees the world and the way that comic book book films have grown since and about, you know, how gritty or third act hole in sky. You know, there's a lot of diversity these days when it comes to the genre outside of, you know, your ends, your dead Deadpools. But this is a film that we haven't seen since. And because of that, it only gets stronger with time. Yeah, aged incredibly well. A movie defined by its ideological, philosophical strengths. Whereas I would say the Marvel Cinematic Universe is defined by its perfection of the blockbuster TV method, where this amazing shared interconnected story where everything feeds into itself, which is a logistical feat of of amazing, uh, amazing strength. I would say the DCEU probably doesn't have a defining characteristic just yet. It's still maybe necessarily finding its identity. This movie knows exactly what it is, knows exactly what it wants to say, knows exactly what it wants to be. And the confidence to to go out and be so secure with everything that that entails in terms of intention, goal, and execution is really impressive and stands apart from the kind of mass-marketed franchise elements that we've seen dominate the genre. Put it like this. They did not make this film to sell toys. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. An <laughs> R-rated political superhero film in which the main character is behind a mask the entire time. Yep. Incredible. I I think that's a nice way to kind of tie into the election for anyone who's looking for a little bit more oomph in their podcast this week. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Awesome, awesome movie. And if you enjoyed this, tune in next week where we'll be tackling the trending news of the week and Mando. If there is any, goddamn. Come on, (laughs) world. I I need this to be over. I want my life to move forward. I've been living the same day over and over for the last three days. Groundhog's Day out here. I think we've been living the same day over and over for the last eight months in the pandemic. It's true, true. All right, until next week, folks. All right, y'all. Peace. I'm going to make him an offer, Captain. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.